Hello and welcome to the Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and it's my mission to help you lead a happier, healthier, and more prosperous life, both personally and professionally. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Mike. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Doc Podcast with Dr. Lou Chimura. I had such a great time talking with Dr. Lou and we got talking about so many awesome, fascinating topics that I decided to break the episode up into two separate parts. So we'll begin now with part one and then next week I'll release part two. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this episode of The Doc Podcast. I'm really excited for this conversation with my guest today, Dr. Lou Chimura. Lou is an amazing individual who's done a tremendous amount for the profession of orthodontics throughout his career. He has his BA in chemistry from Michigan State University and obtained his DDS Certificate of Orthodontics and Master's from the University of Michigan. He practiced in Virginia from the late 80s to early 90s, and then moved to Michigan where he practiced up until recently retiring from clinical practice to focus on a career in education and coaching. Lou has published over a dozen articles and given over 125 lectures at educational institutions and meetings. He recently started Egghead Ortho with the goal of helping orthodontists find a balanced, healthier, purposeful life in and out of the office. And with that, I'd like to welcome Lou to the podcast. Welcome, Lou. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Mm, I, I understand we're both in Florida. Yeah, we're, <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Great. Uh, Just different goes, parts. It goes along <laughs> with our trajectories. It's. Uh, I'm. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Uh, I. I feel like we've lived these these interesting parallel lives in in uh, having met you know, informally, and I'll, I'll get into that in a counter in a, in a moment. I'm not even sure if you recall, but um, but it's interesting. I think a lot of us in ortho, we we practice in our own worlds. We live in our own worlds and and uh, we don't realize, sometimes we feel like we're the only ones that maybe think something or do something. And then we realize there's colleagues of ours who are in lockstep with us uh, philosophically and and sometimes in, in the way we, we, we live out our lives. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, That's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, we both recently retired from private practice to pursue an edu- career, you know, more of the education coaching side. We both are strong believers in cone beam and the benefit of cone beam imaging to improve diagnosis and treatment planning. Um, we both have a belief in the role that the orthodontist can play in airway um, and how we can improve patients' quality of life through that. Um, and I think the decision to kind of dedicate the rest of our careers to help our colleagues uh, and, and help them succeed using the success that we both were able to have is just super cool. Uh, and then, like I said, and then we both find out we both moved to Florida too. So <laughs> uh, it was great. Uh, the time we met, I'm not sure if you even remember it, but it was, it probably wouldn't. You had a bunch of people come up to you, but it was um, 2014. I forget which meeting it was, but uh, maybe it was, it was New Orleans then. I, I forget. But I, Ty Ramsey, who was just an episode on the podcast recently, um, I had been talking with Ty about getting an ICAT Flex and as Ty alluded to in the podcast, I had lots of questions and was really kind of grilling him on things. And he was awesome. And, and as Ty is, he was so patient and tolerant with, with everything I was was asking him. And he said, you know, come by the booth and I want you to talk to a couple of people. And it was uh, you and Sean Carlson that uh, oh. uh, he had had me speak with. And we stood and we chatted and you really you probably don't even know this. You really put my mind at ease because um, as great as Ty is and, and as super knowledgeable as he is, it the way I, my mind works, I, I, I learned a ton about the machine and its capabilities from Ty 
but I wanted to talk to a, a, a practitioner about what it was like using it in their office. And yeah. you stood and talked to me for a while and answered all my questions and were really uh, just great about, about putting my mind at ease. Uh, and I remember you telling me that it would change the way I practice it for the better. It would make me a better diagnostician and clinician. And you were 110% right. It by far is one of the, the biggest transformational changes I made in my almost 20 years of practice was when I implemented that almost 10 years ago. And uh, again, I, I, oh. I don't know if I would have if, if I hadn't had the conversation with you and, and really you you answering the questions for me. So we'll, we'll talk about some of those questions today because I'm hoping you can help some other docs out there who have the same questions I had and uh, still have those questions and maybe put their minds, minds at ease a little bit too. Wonderful. I, I don't recall that, but I think that's wonderful. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's who I want. It's the it's the me I want to be. Yeah, <laughs> well, you were. Yeah, it's it's, I, it, it's really. I mean, it's always stood out to me. Um, and uh, that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, as I know you were even an earlier adopter of that technology than I was, and really have a great comprehension of of what it is and what it does. And I'm excited to kind of share stories and, and compare what we've been able to to accomplish in our in our practices using it. So, yeah, cool. Uh, so before we get into kind of more of the technical side of things, tell me a little bit more about you, your family, and and your life outside of orthodontics. Um, oh man, I I am truly blessed. Uh, my uh, Penny and I got married forty two years ago. Um, wow. Still happy. She she's just gone off to a doctor's appointment, and then she's going to play Queens, which is a card game in the villages with her friends, and <laughs> you know, awesome. she's having the time of her life. And you know we we. Deeply, deeply in love. I am so blessed. That's and awesome. We have two kids. Um, my my daughter Claire is is married, and she has two grandkids. Wow. Talked to them this morning on their way to Nana's house, and uh, you know, cotton candy at the ball game and all that. Um, and uh, they're doing great. They're north of Detroit, and okay. then my son is on the west side of Michigan. He is in um, supply chain management. And he's uh, he's interviewing at a bunch of places. He wants to find the ideal place, so he's he's working at finding out which one is the best. But uh, he's doing well, and and the whole family is doing well, and we all get together this Thanksgiving. They're all coming down here. Oh, awesome! So I'm looking forward to that. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I won't be far. We're actually heading up to family in Lakewood Ranch, uh, so I'll be oh. a little closer yeah, towards be... where towards where you are uh, for that as as well. Um, we have some family coming down from New York, so um, that's uh, that's great. Uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving in in Florida's fun. <laughs> the yeah, years. well, I'm I'm looking forward to having warmth. You yeah, know, it's it's you a can't nice time here. Thanksgiving or Christmas in Michigan, but you sure can here. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's really nice Thanksgiving in Florida. Um, so. But uh, tell me a little more too about your journey as an orthodontist. I mean, why why ultimately did you decide to become an orthodontist and the trajectories of your career uh, professionally and, and kind of your private practice, uh, the evolution of your private practice? You know, it, it it was a long and winding road to become an orthodontist. You know, some mm -hmm. some people you meet, I wanted to do that since I was 14. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I wasn't that guy. I um, I thought I wanted to be an MD is really what I wanted to do. But I, my dad was an engineer. So I took okay. a lot of it. All my electives were in mechanical engineering um, after the first term. And then I took all the requirements for, for medical school. Okay. And I, I was on that trajectory until after I graduated. <clears throat> and then 
I went and worked in a hospital to build up my resume. Yep. And I found out that MDs work on sick people. And I thought, I don't want to do that. So I was pretty much in trouble. I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I stopped going to school and I took a job with IBM in Endicott. So I was in upstate New York also. Oh, wow. Yeah, we lived in Binghamton and I worked oh, wow. in, in, in Endicott. And um, I was just figuring out innovative ways how to repair uh, boards back then, okay, you know, and circuit boards. And so during that time, I sat down and I made a list of all the things I liked about medicine and what I didn't like, what I liked about engineering, what I didn't like, and started looking at what possible careers are out there. Um, I knew I wanted to work for myself. I was miserable at IBM. Mm -hmm. I, I was I was floored that they were making money, quite frankly, because <laughs> there was so much waste. Um, but I wanted to work for myself and 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 I wanted to do something interesting. And I found dentistry. So mm -hmm. I decided to go to dental school. My second year, my, my first summer, we had the opportunity to work. And I said to the dean, I, I met him and I said, I'd like to do something that includes computers. You know, remember, this is 1981. Mm, right. Okay, so they had computers, but they were big mainframes. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, we had just gotten my first Mac back in 1980, no, 75. Mm. You know, it was early, early on. And so I said, I want to do something with computers and dentistry. And he sent me to the growth center, which was just Wonderful. The mm. Growth Center of Michigan was being run by uh, a guy named Bob Moyers. Mm -hmm. He's written a bunch of textbooks. Sure. And, yep. The Moyers analysis. Uh, yeah. He became, he became my mentor. Mm. Wow. That's neat. And nothing better could have happened because he taught me so many things. So I, I went and worked for him for the summer at the Growth Center and did data entry and did analysis and that sort of thing. And one of the things that came from that was um, that I, I did a project where I was comparing the, the maturation based on sesamoid uh, calcification mm -hmm. to facial growth. But he hooked me up with a guy named Fred Bookstein. And Fred was a mathematician, is what he called himself. Okay, he, he, was a, a, he did statistics, basically. And he developed new statistics to, de to define defor deformation of faces. So what was happening, he could he had this new statistic going on. It took me forever to understand it. I'm not even <laughs> sure I ever did. Um, but I, I won the, the opportunity to go to the IADR. I got the table clinic prize. And so I got a chance to go oh, cool. to the IADR and present and try to explain Fred's ideas. And oh my God, I got toasted. <laughs> <laughs> But um, knowing Moyers was really amazing. That's and having, cool. He, as a personal mentor. Um, so the, the, the other side of the story, the next summer I went back and I said, I'd like to work here again. He says, Lou, I'd, I'd really, I'd love you to. I really would. I like you. You're smart. He says, but I can't. Why not? He says, well, last year, some of the time that you were supposed to be working for the center, you were doing your project. He says, so I can't waste the, the center's money. I was devastated. Huh. 
I, I was totally devastated. Um, but he taught me a tremendous lesson because later that year, he hired me to work in his office. Okay. So as a mentor, it was way more than just ortho. It was mm -hmm. a life lesson. Yeah. Wow. Have integrity. Yeah. In what you do, no matter what. Yep. Okay. Always do the right thing, no matter what. Yep. So eventually he was the one that got me into ortho school mm. and, and, you know, we were friends until he died. He, on his, not his deathbed, but he was, he was fading. I went in to see him at the hospital, at the U of M hospital. He says, these doctors don't know anything about metallurgy. And he was talking about how he designed this thing <laughs> to fix his veins. Oh, wow. <laughs> with, with night and all, you know. Oh, I, my I, gosh. He was that guy. Yeah. Okay. How neat. You know, most people know him as the guy who wrote the textbook. Yeah. I knew him personally and uh, got to know him. And he just was an incredible influence. So that that's how I got into ortho, really, wow. was was doing that and realizing this was the most amazing, complex puzzle ever. Why wouldn't I want to do this for the rest of my life? Wow. That's a cool, that's a neat story. That is really, really cool. I mean, what a legend too, Morris. I mean, that to learn. And oh yeah, he's, he is. The things you probably absorbed consciously and, and, and subconsciously that, that just, you know, even the life lesson, he yeah. didn't do that on purpose. Well, he maybe done it on purpose. I didn't see it. Coming. He didn't know it then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I learned, yep. I learned a lot and I thought, this is how you operate in the world. That's great. Uh, good for you for recognizing that and not being jaded yeah. and upset and angry, but, you know, looking inward and saying, well, can I learn yeah. from this and, and growing, growing from it. And I found, ironically, I found someplace that we are, our lives are not parallel. And I was that 14 year old who wanted to be an orthodontist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we didn't start out on a parallel track, but, um, um, that's pretty funny. Although when I went to dental school, I kind of lost it. I was like, man, maybe not. I was like literally the exact opposite at that point. I was like, well, yeah. maybe I want to do surgery. And I had family that were in uh, my dad and his three brothers or dentists, one being an oral surgeon and my grandpa, my grandfather, their father was an oral surgeon. So I was like, well, maybe surgery and uh, started thinking that route and then just kind of fell in love with the, the as I got into third year and in the clinic and treating kids. And uh, there was a faculty member who was great. And he said, you know, come to my office and, and just spend some time there. And I went, and I was just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. You know, this is, it just, I could feel it. I'm like, this is, this yeah. is it. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's pretty funny. But, uh, yeah. then how about, is, is that, would you say that exposure is part of what created or kind of fueled your passion for education to be an educator, to teach was, was it that experience? Or is that just something that's kind of always been in you? I would say it's always been in me to a certain extent, but that really having him as a mentor and knowing that his proudest moment, his proudest accomplishment, I mean, he, and he had tons. The guy was, was in the resistance in Greece during World War II. He's the Whoa. most decorated dentist ever. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's got all these accolades and his proudest thing was that he had trained more heads of programs than anyone wow that that was his his thing that he he held himself up for and so yeah i think he inspired me to to want to teach um i had a hard time picturing it doing it in a university at that time mm -hmm. you know i i i'm not a i don't i don't do well with politics or with you know i i really don't mm -hmm. and so i'm a little bit of a lone wolf um i've tempered that a lot 
over the years, but at the time there was just no way that was going to work. So I can relate. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's awesome. Um, what you obviously were an early adapter. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about cone beam 3d imaging. Um, I want to pick your brain on, on some of this. Um, when did you start being interested in it? When did you start using it and what, inspired you to be or motivated you to be so far ahead of the curve? I mean, I felt like I was kind of a little bit ahead of the curve in 2014, but um, you were obviously way ahead of me. And and, and what, what would you say prompted that? Um, you know, when I really look at it, I think it goes back. I, I was fortunate. Everybody has their unique set of, of life experiences. And I, I was tremendously fortunate. My dad was an engineer at Ford Motor Company. And I remember back, oh gosh, it was like in the 90s or the 80s, maybe even earlier. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, because I was, I was a teenager, as I recall, and he was going in at Christmas. So there was a management thing. He says, it's not bad for the man, for the, the head of the place to walk in unexpected on a, on a day that he's not supposed to be, uh -huh. you know, so, yep. but we walked in and he's got his designers with these maybe 25 by by 30 inch screens that were like a half a million dollars <laughs> and they were using CAD CAM. Up until then, they would um, carve a car out of um, clay. Wow. That's how they would design cars. Wow. And they were using CAD CAM for the first time. So I was exposed to the power of computers the power of, of 3D imaging, the power of CAD CAM way early in my life. That's why when, when I got the opportunity to buy a computer, I did. Mm. Okay, I got I got an Apple, it was the one before the SE30. It wasn't the first one, but it, I think it was the second or third Apple computer where you had to switch the disks and so on. Mm -hmm. and so when, mm. fast forward to, um, I, I, I got the opportunity well, what really happened was I, I bought a laser in 2004 or so. Mm -hmm. And it was because a friend of mine said, I went to the server course and he talked about a laser. So I, I had the laser sales guy come over. He said, schedule a bunch of classes or cases. And and so I would I, I did. And he came over and we did these cases. And afterwards, I thought, I've no bloody idea what I'm doing here. Okay? <laughs> I don't know what I should do or what I shouldn't do. I mean, all I knew was how to turn it on and how to aim it from the, from the sales guy. There's gotta be a better way. So I put together a, a course on lasers for orthodox, specifically mm. for orthodox. Okay. Define constraints. Don't go past here, but go right there because if you go there, it's efficient. As a result of that, um, I was invited to write, a chapter on lasers for our textbook. Hmm. And as a result of that, I got an opportunity to speak and I went and, and did more certifications. And, you know, during that same time I was doing the ABO, but I was, I don't know, advanced proficiency at the Academy of Laser Dentistry and all these things. My love of learning just sprouted. Hmm. So that set me on a trajectory to know people that I didn't know. People like Sean Carlson, who's drop dead brilliant. Mm -hmm. Dave Paquette. I mean, the giants 
Pitts. The, yeah. I mean, these guys just blow your mind. They're they're visionaries. They see beyond mm -hmm. what's possible. And I looked at it. I said, "Hey, this is three D imaging in the face. How can that not be better?" Mm -hmm. Okay. right exactly <laughs> you know and then what are the possibilities i mean we're, we're talking about looking at roots and getting them parallel when we're done but you can't do that with a 2d image a panorex is so distorted mm -hmm. you can't you can't see that and it's distorted right where it matters right between the cuspid and the lateral you know in that area and I'm thinking, well, 3D will should should answer some of those questions at the same time. So this is 2009, okay. basically, because uh, this is really critical for people to understand. In 2009, by then, I had the practice in Marshall, which is a town of 7,000 people. I decided to open a practice in Lansing, big bigger city, but it wasn't going well. So I bought a practice in Battle Creek, which is about 12 miles from Marshall. Was gonna was gonna do sure smile on all those cases mm -hmm. and solve their problems, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at saying my overhead just went sky high. Mm -hmm. And my production, not yeah, my production went down mm -hmm. having three practices. I was I was over, so I imploded. I was I was headed toward bankruptcy at the mm -hmm. time. And I said, you know, not gonna do that. Mm -hmm. Closed the Lansing office, closed the ba Battle Creek office, kept the Marshall office, invested in Conebeam, and invested in SureSmile at the same time. Okay. And life changing. Mm -hmm. That that changed everything. So it's counterintuitive. You know, right. you're going down. And I spent 150000 on a on a cone beam. And what? At that time, it was about $800 a case on sure 3D. Mm hmm wires yep but now the efficiencies of what i was doing allowed me to draw people from an hour away mm -hmm. okay yep so for me that's how i got into cone beam was that combination because now sure smile at the time could show you the roots right yeah i remember marry yeah. the roots to the crowns and now you're moving the whole tooth you're not yep. just moving the crown of the tooth Yep. And you see things that you just couldn't even believe. It just blew my mind. Blew my mind. <laughs> and and I, I feel the same way. Different reasons why I invested in it. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk more about the airway side and interceptive treatment in a moment. Um, but it cha it transformed the way I, I practiced, the way I saw patients, the way I saw the etiology of the malocclusion, the way I was able to be critical of my own work, <clears throat> which gets into maybe some of the reasons, which again, we'll kind of talk about why maybe some colleagues don't want it because it can be humbling. You're, you're not only calling on yourself to have to pay more attention to your diagnostics to not just hold up that pan, right. Or, you know, we're both old enough to remember the days in school and, you know, <laughs> the pan was held up. The professor would take the pan and hold it up to the, to the light. Um, it wasn't because <laughs> I, I was trained. It wasn't computers when I was trained either. Nothing was digital. Yep. Um, I, I started my practice in the early two thousands, right. When that transformation was kind of happening from, from paper to digital and from film to digital in the x-ray arena. But, you know, throw that that pan up real quick on the computer, look at it quickly, throw the CEF up, make some some mental assessments and and give your TC the treatment plan and tell them what to tell the patient they need. Well, if you're using cone beam, 
I guess certainly you could do that. You can create the 2D constructs, but you've wasted a lot of time, energy, and money on a very expensive device. Ty uses the example, Ty Ramsey, of the get the Ferrari out of the garage. You know, like, why yeah. would you do that? So you call on yourself to have to restructure maybe your consultation process and, and your diagnosis process to be able to have a little more time to look at the airway and the roots and the event developments, you know, cut your, your, your sagittal and your axial and your coronal and kind of look through the three dimensions of the, the head and neck. Uh, you also expose yourself to some maybe less than desirable outcomes and results that we get that are very well hidden on a pan, uh, NSF. And if you're just looking at near incisal angle or mandibular plane angle or incisal palatal plane angle, so forth, you can convince yourself maybe that everything went great. <clears throat> you hold up that pan or you look at that pan on the computer. Oh, it looks pretty good. You look at it in 3D sometimes, you go, wait, I didn't realize I tipped that canine quite that far labially in the root. And, you know, you start to see things, but then you can make the appropriate adjustments to become a better practitioner. And I'm a big believer when we're humbled, as hard as it is, and as orthodontists, all of us have a pretty good ego. And, we're, you know, we've achieved at the highest levels throughout our careers. And it's hard to get humbled. It's hard. We think our cases are better than the next and, and, and not in that it's an arrogance necessarily. It's just, we are very, very confident in that. And when I've talked to some practitioners, I just get the feeling some of them maybe don't want to see <laughs> what, what they're not seeing. It's sometimes that, that, that naivete can be, can be self-protective and it can be something where maybe you think that by ignoring that it's easier just to go in that route. I don't know if you've, share that sentiment or if that's something you've noticed as well <clears throat> uh you know i haven't i haven't had that conversation as often <clears throat> i think the the things i'm hearing are i'm worried about the exposure mm -hmm. and i'm worried about my exposure in you know i have to interpret now a whole bunch more data that i didn't have to interpret before yep um those are the two big ones that i hear um and I, I mean, I can dispel both those pretty easily. The, the exposure is less than a pan. Yeah, say let's, let's, let's do it. And before I do that, I should yeah. clarify. Um, I completely agree with you. I should have been more clear in that. I think people use those reasons, which are the reasons I hear more. They use those reasons sort of as a bit of a front to, because they're just easier to say, oh, the radiation or, oh, the liability, when deep down, maybe there are some other reasons that have them a little bit um, apprehensive. The other one, which we don't have to go into, but I think a lot of it is just the logistics of the cost and the systems implementation. I was talking to Ty about that. I mean, if you've got three, four practices, you know, I was lucky. I had one office. Uh, sounds like you did it once you consolidated to one office. Right. You got three, four offices. Not only do you have to invest in that if the offices are far enough apart, but you have to change your tra staff training, your systems. You have to build more data storage in your servers. So there are those challenges. So I think people default to the two I want to talk more about and dispel, uh, have you dispel. But it it might be a bit of a kind of a facade of what really might be their reasons why they don't want to do it. Cost, logistics, uh, maybe humility. Cost, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because whenever you buy a thing, a technology thing, you buy the thing, then you buy training on the thing Yep. and maintenance on the thing. Yep. You know, and it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a laser or if it's sure. it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. It's it, it's there are hidden costs. Yep, and I think that is a big deal, especially if the trend is going toward having multiple offices. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right because you're hundred fifty thousand. I, I don't think it's that much anymore, but at you're the right. Time, it's down now. Yeah, 
is 150,000 times three. Right. You know, you, know you, you keep doing that and you can go broke. Plus the support I, I, of a thousand a month times three, um, you know, plus, like you said, now your data storage, if you have cloud storage, you have to pay a lot more to have those that backed up because the images are somewhat large. And for some reason, I just don't think it's as comfortable for providers to say those things because that's admitting, yeah, I know it's better, but I'm not willing to make that investment or sacrifice versus, oh, radiation. You know, it, it's. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. It, it's very hard to say that because. There are things that are clearly better that we don't do. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, yeah. and comb beam is one of them. Completely. Um, you know, it's just, it just is obvious, but <clears throat> there are a lot of barriers to it. And it, maybe that is what, it, what I'm getting is, is the secondary reason. Because um, you said radiation. I, I'd love to hear your analysis of that because I, I don't feel it's even disputable at this point, but it's, it's it isn't. It isn't. And Sean Carlson is a genius in this area. He does a great job of it. I think he's even got it on free on the on the Internet talking about it. Mm -hmm. The exposures for a cone beam are less than a pan and stuff. Yep. Um, the information you get is infinitely more. I, I never realized how often upper second bicuspids erupted tidally. Right. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I never realized when somebody has a neck ache to look and see if they have um, the stylohyoid is, is calcified. Yep. Mm -hmm. I yep. mean, it's just ligament, one thing yeah. after another after another. And, and certainly that would be daunting if you're not familiar with those. But mm -hmm. there are courses and so on. And you don't have to know that day one. Agreed. Right? Great point. Uh, you, you have to know how to kind of manipulate and use the software. Yep. And then you you want to be good enough. I teach my staff when I do a, a consult, mm -hmm. they had the cone beam up and they had it in oriented so that there was a, a slice yep. right through the first molars. Yep. Because I wanted to see the angulation of the first molars. Yep. That was more important to to changing width than it was what the number is. Okay. The yep. number was an average. Agreed. 38 millimeter. That's an average. I agree. I never like those averages. I never try, you know, people aren't built on an average. It can give an average height too, but that, that doesn't account for the person who's, who's, you know, seven foot and five foot. Uh, great. The, so right. it, I know the averages always frustrated me. So yeah, I think the radiation is, um, I mean, it's pretty sound, especially now with the low radiation. It's yeah, a non-issue. The radiation is a non-issue. You can't even dispute it. I told the story on Ty's podcast, but when my um, the radiologist came, uh, the engineer came to do the analysis on my cone beam the first time. He couldn't. He he ran it on. He you know said which set. He asked which setting for my assistant, and she showed him what we take it on. So it was the the this was an iCAD. It was the QS plus the low dose protocol. So he took it, and all of a sudden he comes back to get me in the clinic. One of the girls comes to the clinic. She's like, Doctor Mike, there's a problem. He John needs you. So I I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, there's no radiation registering. Something's wrong with the machine. He could his instruments. This was back in 2014. His instruments weren't even sensitive enough to detect the dose. So he thought there was an issue with the machine. And I had just bought this machine. And I'm like, wait, what? you yeah. can't be telling and, me this. And somehow it's giving me images. Right. <laughs> and, and so then I showed him how to, he could adjust, you know, we had the presets in for, you know, different dosage. And so I chose, no, try this one. And then he ran it and was able to get a reading and he was blown away. He's like, yeah. that was the first one in my area who had the low dose of this. And he said, I've done some other cone beam machines and, you know, that I could always pick it up. So I thought something was wrong. 
wrong with your machine? And I said, no, this is a new, he didn't even know about it. I said, it's a new technology that's got a lower dose setting. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that's why I think, as I said before, I think there has to be some ulterior motive um, because that's one big one that's easy to dispel. The other one uh, that, that we were talking about, I'll let you go a little bit more into kind of the liability side of things, if you want to touch on that as well. Well, the reality is you have the same risk with pans and staffs. It's just that yep. we don't realize it. And, and you know, we're familiar with them. We went through school. We learned them. We've seen a bunch of them. Yep. It doesn't take long, you know, and, and standard of care isn't right now analyzing airway. That yep. That's a bonus. That's a, that's, that's, oh my goodness. I can do that too. Yep. Um, but, you know, you can. You can tell better which teeth are ectopically erupting. You can tell better where mm -hmm. the proximity of a crown is to a root. Mm -hmm. You can tell everything that you would want to know as an orthodontist. You can tell better yes. the cone beam. I, I truly think it's it's fear of the unknown and mm -hmm. fear of, of the new technology. And will I be able to, to do it? And, and knowing that you're going to have to invest some time and energy into mm -hmm. figuring out how to use the software. And money. <laughs> time, energy, and money. Well, yeah. money, yeah. But mm -hmm. most orthodontists, that's not their biggest concern. You know, the, the biggest concern is, okay, I, I buy this thing. Now I got to be responsible for it. I, mm -hmm. I really, I truly believe that's what it is. And honestly, we, we can teach them that. That's, you know... The, I don't I don't teach a course in that, but I could very easily, you know, that we and you could as well, where you say, all right, here's how I look at it. Here's mm -hmm. what this does. Here's what that does. That's that's truly a half day course. Yeah, it completely it up and running. And I found the I, you're the first one I've kind of heard say it that way. And I, I appreciate the way you explain that, because it pretty much decreases your liability in a way because you yeah. see, you know, you're, you're, you're the way you said it takes the guesswork out. It's really true. I mean, when I would go back in, in, uh, at the hospital, I was at, um, on the cleft craniofacial team as the orthodontist on the team, they didn't have 3d imaging. And I was pushing the CEO and, and the, the head of the clinical division, please implement this technology. And they kept saying, there's no billable code for it. There's no billable code. So they would send these kids for, for CT scans of the head. Now they would use the pediatric dose. So it was a lower dose, but still far above what you're getting yeah. at, you know, 11 to 17, 20 microsieverts with, with a low dose iCat or whichever you know, machine you choose. And so I was, I gave them, I provided the data and the radiation dosage. And, you know, you know, as you know, these kids with, with cleft cranial facial anomalies, they are getting, they are getting images all the time. They need to have constant imaging to evaluate eruption, evaluate post-surgically, pre-surgically, post-surgically. And I said, I just can't understand how they're not doing this. And then I would sit there and I'm not kidding. We would sit there sometimes when we would conference on the cases before. And then when we would round after looking at the pan, sometimes it was a printout of a piece of paper. Sometimes it was up on the screen. I'm like, they're like, you know, Mike, where, where do you, you know, which teeth are them? Someone's like, I don't know. Like I, I, I can't, I would be completely guessing if I try to say with confidence, whether that's a supernumerary tooth, whether that's a malformed lateral, uh, whether that's an ectopic canine, whether it's a, an impacted primary tooth, like you just, there's just no, 
take a 3d i would just i got to the point where we would just send them to my office i would just take the yeah. image on them and i just said just send them to my office i'll take the image at that point we were cds but eventually went to email and i'll just then we'll use that because we're wasting our time right now trying to do this and i don't want to make a mistake and i'd gotten so comfortable and confident in my diagnostic abilities on 3d that when i went to look at it in 2d it was literally like going from playing you know full out 3d having a full out 3D experience on a, in a movie or a game and then going back and looking at, you know, Atari, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a novelty, but, but black you're not- Black and white Atari. <laughs> black and white Atari, right. So it, 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 uh, it definitely, that's a great, that's a great point um, is that it decreases your, your liability. Uh, I, so, so why, why do you think the AAO, I mean, I, I, I checked, I forget, maybe it was when I had to research my boards in 2020 for like the 10 year, at one point, it wasn't that long ago, I looked, and they still don't recommend, they don't even mention cone beam as an initial or post-treatment diagnostic uh, radiograph that can be taken. Why do you think our profession as a whole isn't promoting it more? So I think the AAO does many good things for orthodontics. Mm -hmm. But something like this that's not... That, that's innovative, mm -hmm. it's going to be hard for them to do just practically. Logistically. They realize mm -hmm. they want members and they have to cater to all their members. Mm -hmm. And if many of their members don't want to do this for whatever reason, then they're going to have a hard time saying this is standard of care. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. This Good is point. what we should do. Yep. And, and, and it, it's just a practicality um follow the numbers follow mm -hmm. them follow the dollars yep right if they lose half their members because they just recommended comb beam well they lose half their members now they have problems interesting yep and i don't want that to be an indictment of the ao no really understood no, no there are really not. good people in the ao yeah, agreed you know good friends of mine yep same here but yep. the reality is they're not going to be the ones that are going to push the envelope because they can't Mm -hmm. It's a political organization. Mm -hmm. And if it stays there, that's where it should be. If they're setting standard of care, I I, I really have problems with it mm -hmm. for reasons stated. I mean, th for me, this is a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it would be, I would feel like I got two hands tied behind my back. Oh, yeah. Trying to diagnose without it. Yep. Okay. But that's the reality of most offices. And maybe um because i'm so far down the road it doesn't seem like it was as daunting as it as it was mm -hmm. but man i this is why i'm coaching yeah okay it doesn't have to be that hard yes. i can walk you through it i can Agreed. show you what to do i can show you what not to do yep it, you know it's like that old saying about um I don't remember who it was. I think it's been talked about a number of people, Tesla or Edison or somebody, and they came and, you know, where's the problem? And he came and put an X, it's right in here. And he charged $5,000. And they said, why $5,000? He says, you know, itemize that. $1, mark the X. $49.99, nowhere to mark the X. Yep. Okay. Yep. The things that I do routinely might be daunting to somebody new, but that's teachable. Yes. Right? And we're all that's trained. I mean, we are the experts in craniofacial growth and development. It is our wheelhouse. I mean, it's not like we're examining imaging part of the body that we are 
unaware of um, the anatomy. I mean, it's oh, we, that's the part that just blew me away. Like go take, like you said, take a half day course, coach with you, coach with me, find somebody as a mentor who has one, pick their brain. I mean, I would just pick, I would Ty was a wealth of knowledge on these images. And when he didn't know yeah. something, he would connect me with someone like you or Sean and say, Hey, ask them. And I just started at, I, I went to my ENT. Um, the reason I got recruited to the cleft craniofacial team I was on was because they saw the images I was taking as I was working with the ENT and I would refer a patient to them. And the, they, you know, at that time I wasn't on the team, but the EN, head ENT and pediatric ENT and the head pediatric surgeon were like, whoa, who is this? What are these images? And they sought me out to get me onto their team because I was sending these images and these letters, understanding airway and, um, sleep disorder, breathing and, and all sorts of things that they weren't sure. used to. And so um, they then became a great resource for me as well, because I would pick their brains and I'd be like, Hey, I, you know, Jason Muzakis was the awesome ENT. I'd be like, Jason, you know, take a look at this image. You and What do you think? And, and, and we, I, you know, or help me understand, I'm seeing this, is this a problem? Is, is this, are these adenoids an issue you think? And I started to learn. And because we're all intelligent, we've all, we know that area of, of anatomy. It it's not a big leap. <laughs> and and I found it was fun because then I'm going, oh, and that's actually what I want to kind of get into now, talking about was airway, was that did you were you kind of airway aware uh or uh, uh, had an interest in the impact of malocclusion, airway, orthodontics, et cetera, prior to having 3D imaging and cone beam, or did that evolve? Did it coincide with it or was it after having looked at Im 3D images for a while? Um, it was my interest in airway was earlier than that. Okay. And, and very personal. Um, I, in retrospect, I probably have had airway issues my entire life. Mm. I had my tonsils adenoids out because I was snoring like a sailor. I had um, a lot of problems and I, I I, I never realized because I overcame them until 2005 or so. And I was playing basketball and I tore my Achilles. Um, in fact, last night I was watching Monday Night Football. <laughs> I know what happened there. I watched his, his calf just go up into a ball. I said, yep. Oh, yep. he's done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's going to take some some rehab. So um, I tore my Achilles and I stopped playing basketball. I stopped playing tennis. And um, and that was an edict from my wife. said, no, no more of that. I don't want to go through this again. So my weight ballooned mm -hmm. and I stopped breathing. And Penny, uh, there's a whole thing in my presentation about that, that, you know, I, I spent some time in the hospital. The year I was in the hospital trying to learn if I wanted to be an MD, I was working on the neuro floor and the mm -hmm. people in a coma, I sat next to this guy and just poked him, right? When he stopped breathing, I'd poke him. He'd huh. swear at me and he'd start breathing. And then I'd read my novel and then he'd stop breathing and I'd poke him and he'd mm -hmm. swear at me. And I'd read, you know, and we do this over and over again all night long. I didn't know what it was called, mm -hmm. but Penny was doing that for me yeah. after the Achilles. And we didn't know, she's got a master's in nursing I got my master's in ortho and this crept up on us. We had no idea what wow. was going on. And once I got the diagnosis and it, it, it was like, man, this is horrible disease. I started looking at it. It affects every system in the body. Mm -hmm. And then I said, obstructive sleep apnea. There's an obstruction somewhere. That's anatomy. Mm -hmm. 
when we change anatomy for a living, mm -hmm. there's got to be a relationship here. And I, I decided I was going to solve this on my own. Mm. Arrogant. I've, I've kind of been arrogant some of the time. No way. This is too vast. And it's not just orthodontic. There's no, there's no silver bullet. There's mm -hmm. no cookbook approach. Yep. It has to be multidisciplinary. <clears throat> but I worked on it on my own for a number of years and finally gave up, said it's too vast, can't mm -hmm. do it. I was very fortunate. By then I had met Dave Paquette. Mm -hmm. Um Henry Shine Orthodontics decided they were going to start an orthodontic division and they were going to do well by doing good. And they mm -hmm. said, let's find solutions for OSA using orthodontics. And Dave was the first person they put on the team. He didn't, he said, you know, I don't know anything about airway, right? Or OSA. Mm -hmm. They said, yeah, but you don't, you always tell me the truth, Dave. And he says, all right, I want Lou on the team. Who's Lou? They have no idea, right? But he's got a dog in his hunt. Mm -hmm. And so I was on that group, uh, the first group, and we developed, uh, we, we actually split it up. You know, you take these articles, you take those articles, and, mm -hmm. and we get back together and discuss it. And Dave and I developed a, a two-day course on OSA and ortho. Mm -hmm. So mine came from personal, okay? my and, and I find most of the people that have come to my courses that's where they come from. They Same here. A, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, uh, I, when you said 2005, I said, Oh my gosh, here we go again with the similar, mine wasn't necessarily sleep apnea. I was having some issues with sleep disordered breathing because of mm -hmm. but mine was allergies and nasal passageway obstruction from allergies. And yeah. I, um, I, back to the radiation, I've had more head CTs than I'd like to think about medical head CTs and they don't even think about it. Right. I mean, we talk, we argue over yeah. again, the, it's the, 50 what we're times taking. the exposure. It's <laughs> exactly. like, really? <laughs> yeah. You're given uh 2.5, uh, you're given 2.5 millisieverts instead of microsieverts. Um, but, you know, we're given, we're given say 15 microsieverts, they're giving what would be like 2,500 microsieverts uh, <laughs> with, the, with the dose. And I've had plenty of those. And I started looking at the images and that's maybe why I wasn't as intimidated by cone beam when I started looking at it. Cause I'm like, oh, I've looked at these of myself many times. I've sat with the ENT and the allergist. And when they showed me surgically what they were going to do. And my first surgery was in uh, beginning of 2006, ironically. Um, okay. And I had another surgery, <clears throat> another sinus surgery in uh, 2009. And that journey I think just made me much more aware of, and so I not only used cone beam to help uh, diagnose obstruction, lymphoid tissue, uh, and so forth, and, and pharyngeal issues, but I really got interested in the nasal passageways and the sinuses and looking at turbinate hypertrophy, right? And nasal pass passageway patency and noticing that, wait, if that palate is narrow, right? We have obviously a opposite the, the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. And you start going, wait a minute. And then you see these patients where you help them grow young and help them expand and get the tongue space. And the tongue starts to fill into the oral cavity better and eliminates the obstruction of the oral pharyngeal airway. And all of a sudden these parents are telling me, wait a minute, doctor, I'm like, this kid, my son doesn't breathe, doesn't snore anymore. And um, you, know, you start put piecing this together because not just saying that you know, if you go in and expand everybody, they stop mouth breathing or snoring, but I would get them to the allergist or to the ENT or both uh, and, and and start to manage their allergy symptoms and start to manage their uh, otolaryngological symptoms. And then you would address the 
symptom orthodontically, which was the narrow arches and the crowding. It wasn't the etiology. It was the symptom of the breathing issue, the constriction yep. of the growth, those V-shaped arches, oftentimes not even a posterior crossbite, significant, you know, moderate to severe anterior crowding in the, in the anterior middle thirds of the arch, et cetera. And I'd say, well, I'm going to address the orthodontic issue because, you know, and again, people talk about extraction versus non-extraction and it's this big debate. And it's like, well, is it a tooth size issue or is it a jaw size issue? <laughs> and, and if they're little and young, let's solve the problem here. Let's, let's not, you know, so I'm not indicting extractions. I'm just saying, if that's not the cause and the etiology, why are we getting into that? And that my article at North Town back in June, uh, part one of a series I'm doing, it, 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 it explained that. But the point being that personal story, as you alluded to, I guess just made me more aware maybe not even anything I was hundred percent conscious of, but I would see these kiddos come in at like seven, eight years old. And I would see, I'd look because I'm now understanding the cone beam. I'd start the airway tour. I'd take the parents and the, on the inpatient airway tour and I'd go through and I explain it, you know, where there's dark air can go and where there's gray or white, it can't. And, and you go and you're like, they're like, wait, doc, there's no, there's no dark there as you're going in through the nose. Yeah, well, his, his, does he have a cold? No, no, but he's always stuffy, right? He's always sniffly and stuffy. So I said, all right, well, we're going to send him to, you know, my friend, Dr. Massey, at my analogist, and we'll see what he says. And sure enough, this kid comes back. He's got allergy issues. So they get him on, you know, a, maybe a antihistamine PRN and maybe a nasal spray or a nasal irrigation. You go in and you do what you have to do intraorally to develop the arches. And you have a different human being on your hands. Like you literally have changed this kid's life. And that I've, I've fixed a lot of teeth. I, I was, I've been blessed to have created a lot of beautiful smiles and a lot of great results. I stand by the fact that nothing is as impactful or powerful as when you have a parent break down in tears in front of you because they finally have their kid back because this kid had all sorts of behavioral issues and emotional issues and all sorts of sleep related issues. And the fact that I was able to be a part of that, again, not saying I've never would say that the orthodontist diagnoses sleep apnea, it's, that's outside our scope, that the orthodontist is, you know, if you go in and expand and however you do the expansion in phase one, you're going to cure every airway issue. Of course not. But it is well within our scope to diagnose the symptoms of airway obstruction. And it is, I feel incumbent upon the orthodontist to recognize those symptoms, to take the time to investigate them, to make the appropriate referrals to our medical colleagues and know to whom to refer and when, and then to do what we can do to help the intraoral environment to facilitate tongue space and space for, to complement the teeth. And I think if you put that together, it's really not much more complicated than that. So that concludes part one of the podcast with Dr. Lou Chimura. We will pick up next week where we left off. Thanks so much. See you in the next episode. Thank you for watching this episode of the Doc Podcast. Be sure to visit theorthocoach.com to get access to CE courses or schedule a private one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me. And remember to join the Doc community on Locals for more great content designed to help you succeed both personally and professionally. Just go to Locals and search for the Doc community. You can also find Doc on Instagram at at theorthocoach. And remember, you have the power to do amazing things. Oh,